Reb is so excited and privileged to have Jamie Blair on the podcast today. Jamie's a magistrate of Summit County Juvenile Court's groundbreaking specialized docket called Restore Court. Magistrate Blair has had a huge impact on so many families in our community. And when things get hard, which they always do, they always get hard, mm-hmm. Jamie's faith provides her with the strength to keep going. So Jamie, thanks so much for carving out the time, mm-hmm. being on the podcast, having this discussion. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. So I remember when I was a teenager, I never got arrested. I wasn't in the juvenile justice system at all, but I was messing around. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking about what it would be like if I got arrested. And I remember thinking, and I'm not from around here, I'm from a different city, but I remember thinking about the juvenile court and the people that were there. And I would, th- I was, I remember thinking that they were all mean and angry mm-hmm. and just mad and mm-hmm. wanting to come down on kids like me super hard. Mm-hmm. And I'm older now and I realize that that's not true. I mean, you're not mean or really angry. I mean, you're, you're, you're strong, mm-hmm. but, and I, I assume that a lot of kids think that way still. Mm-hmm. That's their perspective or perception, not all of them, but some, a lot of them probably. Can you tell me about the moment that you see that change for a kid where they actually like something shifts in them and they think like, wow, these people at the court actually want a better life for me? So I think that takes time. So often I struggle with however long it takes a kid to trust me. um, And I want them to know who I am and that I care about them and that I'm not there um, for that purpose. But of course, you're sitting in a black robe up high above everybody else. All these formal parts of court are formal parts of court. They're very nervous. Um, So it takes time, probably numerous court hearings before I've had enough conversations with them and enough opportunity to encourage them, um, interact with them before they start to realize that I'm just checking in on them. I have responsibilities. I've got to hold them accountable. I have a role, but I really am happy to see them and I really um, value them. And so it just is a process of time. Um, Some open up more than others. Um, but it really is just like any other relationship where the more I see you, the more we have conversations, the more we work through the ups and downs because some days are ugly. Um, and then the next time we see each other, I'm, I'm addressing our way in a better place. Where are we today? And it's just like any other relationship where through those ugly parts and good parts, you begin to gain trust with each other. And so I just think it takes time. Um, but you see that transition? Oh, absolutely. And my favorite thing, and they most often say it to the rehab mentors, and then they are so kind to report it back to me, is they don't say it to me. The kids rarely say it to me, but they'll say to somebody on the team, um, I can tell the magistrate cares about me. And and I'm like, yes. That's huge. Like, yes. That's all. I want them to know that. And it's sincere. If yeah. I say a single word to them, it is sincere. Uh-huh. But they don't trust humans to begin with, let alone somebody in authority, let alone somebody who's holding them accountable. It's not... Um, a person that they're naturally going to think, oh, this person really cares deeply. So you're at a deficit. Yes. As soon as they walk in. Yes. As soon as I start putting their case number on the record, it's this like very formal event, which I can't escape. Um, You said the word trust at least two times. mm -hmm. That's so huge. Mm -hmm. Um, I think many of them distrust the system altogether. And I think they come from places in which justice and the justice system is not a positive thing. Mm. Um, and I don't know that it has even e- equaled justice for them. 
Um, so they don't think it's going to be fair. They don't think that um, that it's there for anything other than punishment. They just have a lot of perceptions about it. And then who am I but a random person to them? You know, True. I'm just a person in a robe. They have no idea who I am until they get to know who I am. So, yeah, I think trust is the foundation, and it always takes time. And so you've seen, like you, you've seen the courtroom become a safe place, mm-hmm. like an encouraging yes. place. Yes. And yes. a just place. Yes. And maybe in some ways more just because it is those things. Mm-hmm. It's safe and mm-hmm. it's, it's encouraging. Mm-hmm. And so is that what you expected to see? Yes. Is that the goal? Yes. And so from all of the training that I had prior to taking the bench, I learned so much about trauma and so much about um, that bridge building and all of that. And I watched Judge Teodosio do it very well. Um, so I knew that that was what it was supposed to look like. Um, and then I just try my best in my own skin yeah. to be me and to wait out the time that it takes for them to get to know me and for them to understand my heart for them. Um, but yes, I was hoping and expecting that the courtroom would not be what they expect it to be when they walk in and what they feel like it is the very first time they and come so in. And so that's a success in and of yes, itself when you have absolutely. those moments. Yes. That's yeah. so cool. It's such a privilege. It is such a privilege to be in that space with them. It and is. how many how many cases do you, is it, is it even right to say cases? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How many, like, are they just one after the next, after the next, after the next? Are they in so, a group? Are they? They're not in a group um, until they get to the final phase. And okay. even then, um, they only end up with about one or two other kids. Okay. We have learned that peer interaction is really not great for this population in any context. Um, so we hold off on hold, putting them together until the final phase, which they've had a lot of, um, time in the system, a lot of treatment, a lot of support. They should have had a lot of growth by the time they're in phase three, so they can probably handle being in the courtroom with Got another it. youth. Um, but to start, it's just them, their team, and me. Um, and we usually do restore court on Mondays, and I'll just do, yeah, one hearing after another individually until the end For of the, the afternoon. For For half a day. Wow. Yeah. So we meet together, we discuss the cases, and then about one thirty, we start hearing them. So they come in one right after another. And so when you were when did you when did this become like even a potential for you restore court like when you were in law school were you thinking that this is what you were going to be magistrate of restore court not for one moment so (laughs) um there was no such thing as restore court when i was in law school and in fact there was no certified or even not even like any human trafficking docket for juveniles none in the state of ohio at the time i was in law school um also, for the vast majority of the time I was in law school, I didn't know that human trafficking was in Summit County, um, which is like hard to fathom that I was still unaware at that time. Um, and I never imagined being a magistrate. So the coolest thing happened. It was like a complete God thing. In September of 2012, Judge Tidosu invited me to come work at the court. And I had one more year of law school, and I was going to finish it out and then hopefully stay on if I passed the bar and work for her. And so I got there in September. And December of 2012, the FBI came, and I happened to be in the meeting in which they were communicating about how Summit County has human trafficking. And that's the very first time I didn't know that we had it here. And I'm like, oh, my. I was still thinking at some point I was going to work on human trafficking over wherever. Like, I didn't know that it was in our county. Oh, you wanted to work with human trafficking. Yes. So I had had it in my heart, but I had no idea how that was ever going to be a possibility for me. Like. Didn't realize. How long did you know that part? Um, 2006, I learned about it. And as soon as I heard about it, I thought, I want to do something with this and had no idea how that would happen. That's early. That's a long time ago. Yes. 
So 2012, I learned it was in Summit County, and I happened to be in the right place at the right time. And so I got to be a part of the committee that was just looking at, okay, what do we do? How do we identify these kids? What do they need? Uh Um, So I got to be on that part of it, and I um, got to help build Restore and create that program and was kind of in the background for years watching the judge and just playing my role. Um, And then something really unusual happened that went on for three years, and um, I was with Becky. We usually pray, prayed on Thursday nights, and I was at her house for prayer. And she said, I just dug my journal out so that I could look at what she said to me because I wrote it down. She she said, I have something that I feel compelled that God really From wants. 2013? This was 2017. So okay, now okay, Restore so, Court yeah, started yeah, yeah. in 2015. Yeah. We've been going for about three years. And she said, I have, I have something I feel compelled to tell you. And she said, I have no idea what it means. And I kind of feel weird saying this because I don't even know what it means. And she normally does not give me a word like that. And so she said to me, she's not flipping with that stuff. No. And, and yeah. And I don't know that she had ever said, I really feel compelled to tell you this. And I don't even know what it means. And she was kind of like hesitant, but she wanted to be obedient. Uh So I, I pulled out my journal and looked at it. Um, she, she said, I feel like the Lord is telling me to tell you, I see a deep need in you to be led by others. Yet God is asking you to lead. So this was a Thursday night. This was December 14th, That's 2017. Kind of a hard thing to hear. And I said to her, Yeah, I have no idea what that means. Like, no idea, but thank you for passing <laughs> along the message. Yeah. Like, I don't even know what that means, but uh-huh. thank you. Um, so that was on a, a Thursday, December 14th. The following day, December 15th, the judge called me and said, um, It was a Friday. And she said, Hey, can I swear you in on Monday and have you hear cases for Restore Court in the afternoon? Can I swear you in on Monday? Right. And I was like, I, I never would have said yes. I know that I would have said, I'm not ready. I was not prepared for this. I had no notice. I need trained, all those things. But the night before, yeah, Becky had, had just said, I don't know what this means, but I feel like God is saying that he needs you to lead. And so because she said that to me, it was the only reason I didn't say, no, I'm unequipped. I'm not ready. I said, okay. Um, and that Monday I came into work. She swore me in in the morning at my desk. And in the afternoon I started hearing restore court cases just to cover for her. Like, uh-huh. um, so we did that for a little while and then eventually she transitioned the docket to me. And so now it's, it's at the docket I preside over, but no, I didn't know the week before I was going to be a magistrate that I would be a magistrate for restore court. I didn't, God kind of just, I knew parts of that story, but yeah. not like that. Yeah. It was That's a total. Wild. And when I looked back and just saw the whole timeline, I was like, I was in the right place at the right time every time. And God gave me what I needed and communicated to me sufficiently to let me know this was not my plan. I did not orchestrate this. I did yeah. not expect it. Um, he just opened those doors. And you didn't kind buddy of, up to the right people right. to get yourself in the right spot. Right. Like you just were faithful with yeah. what he called you to. Yeah. And it was awesome because this is what's really cool. That verse that says, delight yourself in the Lord and uh-huh. he will give you the desires of your heart. I think I learned a new perspective on that. Instead of him just giving you what you want, the word give he will supply those desires. So I felt like the Lord himself had supplied that desire way back in 2006. He's the one who put that desire in my heart. And then he's the one who brought it to pass. It it. was kind of like he planted the seed and then he brought the harvest. And I was just like the garden. Uh I'm like, oh, I understand what that means now. Like he supplied the desire to begin with and then did his thing. And then met it. Yeah. And so from 2006 to 2017 and that whole year period, I heard about human trafficking and then became... I thought you needed to leave. Docket. Thought I needed to go. But you yeah, didn't. I thought, well, I don't speak another language. And at the time, I was not a lawyer. And I was like, I'm not sure how I'm going to really do that. I had no idea what it would look like, but I knew I wanted to, to do something about it. And that's what God did. I so, love that story. Yeah, I do too. It's really his story. I love that story yeah. too. Yeah. It's, and it should be, for, I mean, for everybody. Like mm-hmm. everybody can can pull from that because it's, mm-hmm. 
you don't have to make it happen for right, yourself. Right. Right. Because if God's the one that gave you the desire, uh-huh. certainly he's going to open the door. Like he's the provider. Yeah. Yeah. So he just did his thing and here we are. Yeah. I love so, that. Yeah. Um, I found an article from when Restore Court was starting mm. back in 2014. Mm. And in, in the article, it said that in the fall of 2013, you asked the judge, Tito if you guys could put together a diversion program and mm-hmm. that she was super receptive. Yes. So this was after that meeting with the FBI in 2012. Yes. You were the one that suggested the start for Restore Court. Well, so Safe Harbor was a statute that also just came out in 2012, and Safe Harbor is what provides for juveniles to come in and basically have their case treated like a diversion case instead of formally processing it like a complaint if they're a victim of human trafficking or the court has reasonably they're a victim of human trafficking and that charge is related. And so I'm like, well, the the law provides for it like we have a law that says we can do this but we don't actually do it like we don't have a program or any way to to do it and so yeah once we had started looking at that um you know i said can we do this like can we create a diversion program so that they can take advantage of safe harbor and she's so innovative and so open and was like immediately like yeah let's figure it out you know like figure out what to do yeah that's so cool so it was super cool like she just continues to open the door for um, new ways to reach juveniles and to, to help them out. So and so you were like, hey, receptive. can we do this thing? Mm-hmm. And now, seven years later, like yeah. you were the magistrate of right. that thing. That's and that it. wasn't your plan. No, no. You're yeah. not like, hey, can we do this thing that you could eventually work out a way so you're <laughs> right. not over it? That's yeah. not how it worked. Yeah. So that's, that's what so happened. cool. Yeah. So I've said, we, we both said Restore Court a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me and everybody else mm-hmm. listening, what Restore Court is? Like, how do you describe it? Because I find myself talking about it, and mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, man, I hope I'm saying all the right things. So it is technically um, the only certified human trafficking docket for juveniles in the state of Ohio, and that's certified by the Ohio Supreme Court. Um, it really follows the drug court model because that's what the Ohio Supreme Court requires. Um, so it's an intensive docket where you're going to see me frequently. So it's like every two weeks at the beginning, and then it stretches out to every three weeks. And the more that you make progress and the more you demonstrate that you don't need as much oversight from the court, eventually in the final phase, it's once a month you come in. But they get regularly drug tested. They're seeing probation officers on a regular basis. They have um, case managers assigned to them. Almost all of them have a guardian ad litem who is assigned to them who does kind of an independent investigation and brings recommendations to me as to what is best for them. Um, they have We have specially trained um, defense counsel who knows a lot about human trafficking and how to really serve these victims. So she's their defense attorney that's dedicated to our docket. And so we have a treatment team every Monday. We All those people that I mentioned, plus therapists, plus children's services, plus the mentors from rehab, we all sit down every Monday and we talk. What are, the, what are the issues? What do we need to, what does this kid need today? Um, are there problems that we need to solve? Do they need encouragement? Do they need uh, consequence? Like what, what is it? And so we discuss all these cases all together as a team. And then we head into court and we do our intensive docket thing that the Ohio Supreme Court requires. So it's really an intensive, lots of contacts, specialized docket to help them get from I'm committing delinquencies out in the community. I'm having trauma. Behaviors erupt everywhere all over the place to I can stay at home and be stable. I can attend school. I have a vision for myself. I can be um, a stable person in society and and understand that I have value and I don't have to pursue this path and stay on this path. So it's kind of a really holistic, very intensive approach to the kids. And who are the kids that are on Restore Court? So these are kids who have picked up delinquency charges in Summit County. So you have to have an open charge and it could be anything. A lot of them come in on charges that 
seemingly have nothing to do with trafficking. They're not solicitation. They're not prostitution. Um, Summit County doesn't charge for those. So unless they get charged in another county, I never see those charges. Um, they could be theft. They could be domestic violence. They could be drug-related. They have a wide variety of charges because this lifestyle has all of those things connected to it. So, you know, some of them are forced to go in places and steal, right. um, things of that nature. And so they may get picked up at a store um, for theft, but then really once we encounter them and we start to look at who they were with and the circumstances of, you know, what they were stealing or someone says, actually, they've been on the run, I haven't seen them in a week, we begin to learn a, more, a lot more about them and understand that there's a lot more going on than the theft charge. So they just need an open charge, and then we assess them to see if, in fact, this is something that they might be involved in, and if so, they qualify for a restore court. So they could be high risk, or they could actually be a victim of human trafficking and have an open charge. And what is high risk? Okay, so high risk is... Um, we have a lot of, a lot, a lot of training that has went into these assessments so that, you know, we're not saying we're going to sit down and see if you're a victim of human trafficking. Right. You know, we don't. that's not going to work. That's not helpful at all. Um, and, and nobody believes themselves to be. Nobody. Uh-huh. I mean, they don't like the word. And even if they understand the concept, they're still hesitant to say, yeah, that's me. Uh-huh. Um, so the social worker sits down with them and has a conversation and really begins to look at, what are they doing in their life? What does their home life look like? What do their relationships look like? Are they staying home? Are they in school? Do they have a history of abuse? Has children's services been involved in their life? Like, so after all of those things, often we learn about, um, you know, often they'll say something like, well, yes, somebody asked me if I, if I would be put on back page, but you know, I said I didn't want to and things of that nature where maybe you're not ready to disclose and maybe you have had that experience already. Maybe you haven't, but if you haven't, you're as high risk as you can possibly be because Mm -hmm. someone's now inviting you to be put on back page. So, um, it's really the kids who are, if they're not already involved, are pretty much on the brink of what are we waiting for? They've got all the risk factors that look like this is a kid that somebody would exploit sexually, and we're going to help hopefully serve them and prevent that. So, Okay. How many kids have you had? Oh, man. We've had over 100, and I don't know the exact number off the top of my head. We've had, it might be around 120 kids since 2015 that have come through Restore. Um and wow. those are kids, again, that have been picked up for a delinquency charge mm-hmm. and have been identified as high-risk or victim of human trafficking. So there's more, maybe more cases. Somewhere between 120 and 190, I'm going to say. And I don't know the exact number, but Since what there. year? 2015. Wow. Yeah. And so you were talking about the assessment piece is mm-hmm. so important and doing that in the right way is mm-hmm. so important. Is everybody at the court? trained no so everyone at the court is trained to identify these red flags so if you're a probation officer if you're a case manager um, no matter what your role is with that kid you should know that there are some red flags that if you are aware of these things perhaps this kid might need assessed then you just make a referral to the specialized trained social worker who has a lot of skills in interviewing Mm -hmm. kids who has social working skills to regulate kids when the conversation gets really into the trauma. They they know about human trafficking. They know not what not to say and, and how to respond to these kids. They're the ones who then actually do that assessment. So you just have to know some red flags enough to pay attention and say, you know what, I think I think you might want to talk to this kid. I think okay. you might want to see if they're involved in something like this. So that's kind of how we do it. So between 120 and 190 is a, a huge number if you think about the fact that these kids had to have got a charge mm-hmm. do they have to get a charge in Summit County 
or could it have been surrounding county? Why would they would they land with you if they didn't get that charge in Summit County? Yes. So there's a possibility that if you get charged in another county, but you already have open cases in Summit or you're a resident of Summit, it okay. gets transferred. So um, I actually did just get a solicitation charge from Stark County. They apparently do charge for solicitation. So I have a juvenile who's already on my docket. A solicitation car- charge came from another county. And so I hear it because Got instead it. of having her in two courts, they transfer it. Um, How do you feel about that solicitation charges for minors? Um, so, cause it's a hot like issue, I think. Yes. And I, I see it both ways. I can see both sides of the perspective on the one end because of my understanding of what's actually happening to them. I think it's kind of crazy that you would charge the juvenile in this circumstance on the other end. Um, some, some places who don't have the setup that we have need that charge in order to get that kid before somebody who is going to look at them and say, Oh, this is happening to you. So imagine trigger safe Harbor or the trigger. Absolutely. So that is a automatically qualifying charge for safe Harbor. So you don't even have to have a hearing for someone to say that's an automatic, okay, you're a kid and you're charged with solicitation. Clearly you should get the benefits of safe Harbor because we understand that you're being trafficked. Yeah. Um, but say that juveniles out there and this is happening to her and she doesn't get a charge, then you have to rely on community agencies in that County or in that place to somehow become aware of her. Yeah, find her. Like, so either they're going to make a referral, if the law enforcement even has a place to make a referral to, in order to say, hey, I picked up this kid in this situation instead of charging her with something, she needs help. Well, that's great if those things are in place. But if it's not, something like a solicitation charge would obviously get us all to say, oh my, this juvenile is being trafficked, clearly. Um, So it can be beneficial to them because at the end of the day, if they complete the services, it gets dismissed and expunged like it never happened. So it's not like they're walking around with a solicitation all charge. All um, those charges that they come in on? Um, not all of them. Okay. Um, the ones that were safe harbored. And the court does Got have it. discretion where even if it's not a safe harbor charge, I can decide at the end of it it's in their best interest to dismiss it. And wow. sometimes I do that. Um, but certainly the ones like that, if you're getting charged with solicitation and you complete the program, you're not walking out of here they're with not that on your record. Anyway. No, it's going to, it's as if it never happened. You can never find it. They never have to report it. It's gone, expunged, disappeared off the face of the planet. Wow. So, so in that regard, it did happen to them. They did experience that. So let's not pretend it didn't, but let's also address it and help them and not make them walk around with this as a criminal record. Right. So it can be beneficial if you need it in order to serve them. Um, and Summit so County those, doesn't, but you know, it can be helpful, but those, so, but Summit County has you correct. And you guys are assessing and right. No matter what they're coming in on. Right. Right. And so when they, in those, in those scenarios where that kid, you're saying someone has to find this kid. Mm-hmm. And if there, if there's no restore court mm-hmm. or no specialized docket in mm-hmm. that County, if they're, if they weren't picked up on a solicitation charge or one of those, um, required charges for mm-hmm. uh, for safe harbor someone has to find them and find a way to help them too right, right? so when they come in in this in summit county when the kids come in they're they're not just in front of your you know the bench right. they're surrounded with all wraparound services right. right can you talk you talked a little bit about they have guardian litem they have mm-hmm. mentor like what are the things that that you see being most effective or meaningful it's probably all of it, right? Because mm-hmm. that's why you've selected those mm-hmm. those people to be in the room or to be on the treatment team. Uh, but can you talk about a, maybe some of those things and, and what you found to be most effective? Um, as far as services for them? Yeah. So I think one of the things that's huge that's always a challenge because 
nobody wants to deal with their trauma. Um, that's hard and no one, it doesn't matter what your age, no one's like, I would love to start working through my trauma. Like that's, yeah. that's not, no one wants to do that. Why? Um, because it's painful and it requires you to go through and acknowledge things that have occurred and deal with them as opposed to finding ways to medicate them or push them away or escape them. Ignore them. Do it's you, hard. Do you think that that is tied to the, the, like the, the fact that they never self-identify or they'll, they, even when the story lines up with what, you know, they're mm -hmm. being told about, they still don't want to identify as being a victim of trafficking. Mm -hmm. You think those things are tied or is that different? No, I think certainly it's tied. I think, um, especially with this kind of trauma. So what they don't understand and what they, we hope they come to understand is this person who you believe really valued you and loved you. This person you call your boyfriend, the one who cared for you in, in your perception or maybe in your reality, no one else did. You didn't have real friends. Your family was broken. This person really cared about you and loved you. And what really is happening to them is this person is using you and literally selling your body to make a profit and is abusive and manipulative to you and doesn't care about you at all and is completely exploiting you. Um, that's really hard that's to accept. That's what they have to be accepting. Right. When they accept the that whatever kind Wait of a minute. I thought I was in a relationship. I believed that this was voluntary. I thought we were in love. I thought I was helping out. I thought this was a joint venture. I know he loves me. He's like, he's the person who loves me. He's the only one who tells me I'm beautiful. Like to get somebody to shift their perspective, to acknowledge that this is not what I thought it was. And in fact, this person is abusive to me and doesn't care about me at all. And I am literally being like sold. I mean, yeah. those nobody, no kid thinks I'm being sold, even when uh -huh. they realize there's an exchange of money. It's And so going from that point to being able to accept that and then work through the ramifications of how that has impacted you is huge and painful and ugly and hard. Um, and so in our view, even if we get to the point by the end of the program that they were able to see that maybe they're a victim in this and this wasn't voluntary like they have been made to believe, that's complete success. I mean, we used to think when it started, oh, they're going to work through therapy and they're going to be completely restored and they're going to go on their way and be a healthy and happy uh -huh. individual. And the more we got into it, we realized that's a huge, huge thing if we make it to the end of this program and she can see herself for what, what, who she really was in that story, that's huge. And it doesn't always happen. Um, even consent, we teach them about human trafficking. Every kid has to go through Human Trafficking 101, and so does their parent. It's a separate one. But I am shocked at how many things those kids don't know. So we have um, this part of it about consent, teaching them what is consent. And we have uh, kids as old as 18 who did not understand the concept of consent, that there is a thing such as I have the right to wow. say, no, I don't, I don't want to like they, and I'm, and I said, do you mean they don't understand the word consent? And they were like, no, the concept, like they never were told that there's a such thing as consent and that you have it, you have the control to consent because they've never been. And so just educating them to get them to a place where they left our program and now they understand yeah. consent and they understand their bodies and they understand their brain. A lot of them feel crazy. They feel crazy. And to just even give them the psychoeducation and the language around it. Sometimes the social workers will share stories with me where they've talked to the kid about, Oh no, that's just your brain. This is your brain's response to this. And this is what, you know, this is an amygdala and it takes over. And this is why you're acting like this. They feel normal. It's normalizing for them. They've wow. never been 
able to understand their body, their brain, relationships, healthy relationships, all of those things. So even to just expose them to those truths, to me, that's a huge, huge thing um, and a huge impact on them going forward into adulthood. So things of that nature, I think, are what we really look at and measure as far as progress. And so they're getting that, again, Mm -hmm. through the justice system, Mm -hmm. right? Yes, correct. Yep. Because they are court-involved, they are coming to understand their brains and their bodies in the term consent. Do you think that that's that's the role of the justice system? That should be the role of the justice system? I think it's a huge part um, because that necessarily is going to impact their behaviors, and that's how they got here. So I think, you know— The justice system, here's one thing that I think is very important, and it's been more important to me now that I'm a magistrate. One of the most important things, though, is that we have to deal with your delinquencies because that's what separates a court from every other agency or nonprofit or friend or whatever is out there. We're a court. That is our primary um, responsibility is to deal with files or charges that have been filed. So. One of those things is accountability, and I kind of do that same thing that people struggle with, with the aspects of God. Some people are just the type that really focus on and love and feel warm and fluffy about his mercy and his grace, uh-huh. and some people really value righteousness and justice, Yeah, and one is not better than the other. It's I not, wanted to ask you about this. Yes. Because you're, you're, you're in a position where you are, you're the magistrate in the room. Right. And so when... I feel like so many times the e- the easy thing to do in life, not in the courtroom, right. I don't know that, that the easy thing to do is to like show something that you would call mercy that right. really isn't mercy if you're just like letting somebody right. off the hook for something. Whereas what if in that moment, what they need the most is, yes. is the, is the account is to be held accountable yes. for, for what happened. And maybe that is the, the most compassionate thing for yes. them in that moment. And so how do you work through that? Yes. I, that is one of the most significant parts of my role to me because two reasons. One, I've learned they really haven't learned accountability. They have not witnessed it in their life. They don't learn it at their home. Um, They clearly got picked up on charges and they have the perception of the system. But where have they learned that they actually have control? So I try to get the kids to understand, you think I'm the one with the control in the room. I can't get you to do anything. There's nothing I can do to make you do it. Ultimately, you decide what you're going to do. And then I have to respond. I have to, it is my Mm -hmm. job to respond to your choices, but you're the one choosing, right? Uh So you make choices and I respond to them because I have to. Um, But accountability, it is a gift to be someone in their lives who have taught them accountability because they don't know it. And the ramifications of not understanding accountability is horrible for them. Like you don't want to end up incarcerated. You don't want to end up with this, 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 and this consequence then the only way to avoid that as humans is to have some accountability structure because we're humans. Um, And so it's not a thing that's terrible or awful to do. It is a gift to be somebody in their life who can teach them accountability and how if you will receive accountability, your life will change, that you will make better decisions, that you will have Mm -hmm. better um, outcomes. And then the other part about um, accountability or playing that role is all I convey to them repeatedly is that I am unwilling to make a decision for you that I do not believe is best for you. Mm. I'm unwilling to do that. You say that that all the time? Yes, because certainly they're teenagers and their perspective is different and Uh there's resistance. But I can't be be swayed to do something I don't believe is best for you because we're really struggling to get through this. And I know you don't want to do what I'm asking you to do, but I know that you should. I'm not going to do that. I, I, I can't. So, you know, one time I had a kid who was nearly 18. And she had been in services for a while. She did not want to do trauma therapy, um, told me she didn't need it, you know, and I 
and I had built some trust with her. And I said, you know what, you're, I actually think she was 18 by the time I said, you're an adult. Um, you're going to be responsible for making your own decisions for yourself. And I'm going to go ahead and let you take the lead on this. I'm going to go ahead. If you've decided that you don't need this and you don't want to engage, I'm not going to order you to participate in it. Um, but if we, we learn that this is not working out, that in fact, it appears after some time that you really do need the trauma therapy right now and that it's something that you need, I'm going to order it because I'm not willing to just yes. make orders for you that are not best for you. So I'm going to give you some autonomy. I'm acknowledging you're an adult. You need to start making your decisions. So I'm going to let you take the lead on this. But you have to know that if it it proves that this is not the best for you and I have to step in and make a different decision, I'm going to. And it did. You know, I gave her it. Things went awry. You can't you can't skip over therapy. Right. Yeah. Because there's a you lot of other things that, that will not get in line or will not subside until you deal with it. And so we went a few months and things were not going well at home and it, it just got ugly. And I, she came back in the courtroom and I said, and now we're at that space where I feel like I have to step in and I have to make a decision for you that I believe is best for you. And I ordered her to do it. And she did. She completed EMDR therapy, wow. which is incredible. Yeah. It did make a difference for her. She did grow. She completed it successfully. Um, but that was one of those things where I was like, I'm going to work with you and I'm not going to always just be like, I'm the boss and I'm uh -huh. deciding what you're doing, but I will not, I will not make a decision for you that I do not believe is best for you. And I'm not going to do it. You and know, so and these kids get to have that version of you and the version that we started this conversation at, which is realizing that this person who I've assumed to be one way mm -hmm. actually does care about mm -hmm. me and wants the best thing for me. Mm -hmm. And so they're coming to feel safe in mm -hmm. a, in a, they're starting to feel safe in a, in a, in that courtroom, right. but they also maybe for the first time ever have that kind of love mm -hmm. and, and safety paired with, mm -hmm. no, this is like, I still have to hold you accountable. Mm -hmm. And so those two things probably have never right. coexisted for that, right. for those kids. And I would think that if to the degree they can receive that as a juvenile, it does make them feel more safe because when you are at home and the adult is not uh -huh. the one who's actually yeah. holding you to something, you feel that. Like while they resisted and pushed away, deep down inside, the natural desire is to not be the one who's running this show. Like to you can't feel like I'm whipping the magistrate around. Like I'm she's just gonna be manipulated and whatever I say she's gonna do. There's a lack of safety in that. Like right. when you come in and you know that I'm gonna talk to you straight and if I really believe you need something, we're gonna we're gonna do that. Even though you're resistant because you're juvenile, deep down inside, you know that it's not all on you. Like you're not the one who's like creating the lanes. Like there is safety and structure and an authority figure helping guide you. That's our role. We're the adults. Yeah. And so I think that deep down inside, somewhere in there, that does give them some additional safety to realize I'm not in control. Oh, for sure. You know, I don't have to own where this is going. There's somebody who's going to play that role for me and, and hold me even when I resist it. Really, they need it. Yeah. And I think they need they know that. And so when Resort was starting, you seemed to think that mentoring was such a huge mm -hmm. component needed to happen. And so you approached Rahab mm -hmm. and we all have different recollection of how that converse, first conversation went. I remember it as you asking us to do the mentoring. <laughs> you remember it as not that at all. Right. But what came out of it was that Rahab started to provide right. mentoring way back in the beginning of Restore Court. Mm -hmm. And so what have you found, and this isn't a ramp commercial, but mm -hmm. what have you found to be uh, most effective from that, that mentoring piece? Um, so I think it, it has got to be God. Um, I believe his spirit is in those, those mentors. Um, it is amazing to me to watch how open the kids are to the mentors I mean, almost immediately. And, and even in situations where you're like, oh, she's, 
she's cool. She's closed. Like she's not going to find you cool. Like this is not, this is not the kid. Like she's Uh not having it. It's, it's almost instantaneous. It's like, as soon as they're in the presence of the mentor, there is something there. I I can't, it just must be the spirit of God, but there is something where there's almost an immediate openness to Mm. opening up to them, to trusting them, to wanting to be around them. They want to be around the mentors. Like they're adults. They're part of a court system. Like yeah. that's not cool, you know, right, right. It, but, but they love them. They love their mentors and they are the ones that they reach out to. And they're the ones that long after they're no longer court involved, they're not required to meet. Nobody's checking in. Are you meeting with your mentor? None of that's a part of their life. They are calling them. They're asking, can you come pick me up? Can we come to Sayla's place? Can you, are we going to hang out? They are doing that consistently, many of them. Um, and so all I can see in that is that relationship piece yeah. that is so crucial that is served most effectively by the mentor and is appropriate. Um, you know, court staff is not supposed to be there permanently. We are supposed to be temporary right. and we have a specific role. If you're a PO, you are supposed to be a PO. You're yeah. not supposed to be mentoring the kid. You know, if you're a case manager, you're connecting them to services and you can build a relationship through that. But at some point the idea is, Hey, you don't have a bunch of court workers in your life. You're not right. that kid with, you know, a PO showing up at your school. Like uh-huh. you don't have to carry us around forever. You want to get rid of us. We're just addressing a delinquency issue and trying to help you. But a relationship, a real one, um, happens with the mentors and, just the way that they trust them and the fact that they maintain communication with them. It's like, that is the person I think that might be their very first true, healthy love relationship. And I watch it over and over and over. And it's, that's the most crucial part. We hear the, I hear from our mentors and the mentoring team all the time that they can't be that if they didn't, if they weren't part of the court system. Mm -hmm. So when we're asked about mentoring and how Mm -hmm. to do it well in other places or invited to do mentoring in other places, we can't carry the the so much of that court accountability mm-hmm. piece like the case management piece right. like the, we can't be those parts either mm-hmm. like our mentors can't be that because it will it'll change, change the relationship, relationship. It, of yes. course yeah yes and so we benefit mm-hmm. from from the court doing the court stuff so mm-hmm. that our, our mentors can do the mentor thing and the fact that we've been invited to even be at the table mm-hmm. and a treatment team is awesome. Like mm-hmm. the fact that the treatment team happens every single week and there's this collaboration mm-hmm. between all these different entities in the community to mm-hmm. really that are really wrapped around this kid is just, uh, I don't know if you stole that model from someone, but if you did good job. So I, I didn't actually have a model, but I did do a lot of research about what is a victim of human trafficking need way at the beginning. This is when I'm just learning, you yeah. know, and I'm calling the state of Ohio. Like I literally would just like, call a court and be like, hi, do you have a human trafficking program? Um, and I did that and I found a couple, but one of the things that, that came up in the research was the importance of mentoring. And that is how I knew that mentoring, because the literature said this population really needs mentoring. And I was like, okay, you know, we hadn't done that yet. We hadn't connected anybody who did mentoring, but I did learn through the literature that that is very important for them. And now I have come to see that is absolutely crucial, huge. Yes. And then another thing that we we found it was a huge gap. We heard it forever and ever and ever and ever was there's no safe housing. Yes. And then, so Rahab, you know, did everything we could to, to open this safe yes. house and Rebecca's place, our safe house oh my in gosh. my eyes is not even really technically all the way open yet right? because we're licensed for 14 beds. We only have six mm-hmm. open. And I think a lot of people see a safe house and maybe not in the court system because, mm-hmm. you know, y- y'all have been doing this for a long time but maybe in the community and they're like, Oh, if the kid just gets to the safe house, mm-hmm. that's the finish line mm-hmm. and everything's good and cool and buttoned up and they're going to be good. Now we work on the folks on these others, but yeah. 
in in a lot of ways it's like the starting line yes. for for kids and they're going through all this mm. healing and court involvement and everything while they're still at the house uh, but what role because i don't i'm not even a person who thinks that i don't think that every kid needs a safe mm-hmm. house right um but what role, like in this, so in this whole continuum of services mm-hmm. or this wraparound services, what role do you see Rebecca's place in the mm-hmm. safe house playing? So I have two stories that come immediately to mind that were like the most direct reflection of how safety and particu- particularly this safe house was exactly what was needed and what made all the difference. One of them was a kid who never got to come to Restore because she started out in placement somewhere else. And if uh-huh. you start in placement, we don't put you in an intensive community-based docket because okay. you're in placement yeah, and this sense. is supposed to be. But if you're on the docket and at some point you end up going to placement, we don't drop you. So we do have several kids who are in placement, but they only got to do Restore because they didn't start. This juvenile did not start in Restore because she started out at some other placement. Um, and, you know up and down and all around and she got out of there and a lot of things occurred eventually after maybe well over a year of her court involvement she ended up at Rebecca's place Um, at some point I have a hearing um, on competing legal custody motions for her there's a couple people asking for custody of her and of course when I made a decision somebody objected and when somebody objects Every word that's said and all the evidence that's brought in and everything is independently reviewed by the judge. And she makes a decision as to whether or not that was the right decision or I made an error. And when the transcript was read, um, the person who read the transcript has nothing to do with restore, has nothing to do with human trafficking, totally independent review, separate entity, read the transcript. And when I was walking down the hall one day, he said, hey, this case could just be like a complete advertisement for Rebecca's place. And and I was like, right, because all of the evidence, witness after witness after witness, got up there and, and was able to testify about how this is how it was before she got here. Here were the issues. She got to Rebecca's place. This was the trauma therapy she was connected to. Here are the you know things that she engaged in. Here are the changes that we saw. I mean, it just over and over and over, witness after witness got up there, and it was like the crux of this case was – Rebecca's place changed everything for this kid. Everything changed at the point in which she got to Rebecca's place. Um, And it was so, and it had, you know, I'm just sitting there as as just listening. I'm I'm just the magistrate, no one in the room. I don't have any connection to this particular thing. I'm just taking evidence and that's what the evidence was. And it was kind of like, wow, that is, I mean, if you could read the transcript, you'd be like, and here's an example of how the trajectory of a kid's life can change dramatically after having come here. The other one is a kid who um, I have worked with for, probably over a year and could never make any progress with her because she was actually um, trafficked with another juvenile who's really in the role of the bottom and they would often get picked up together and they would even be in detention together and this girl would be controlling her in detention oh, wow. constant. Um, constant and it, this just happened over and over and she really meant well and I know she was sincere and she thought she was going to change and she thought she was going to do better for herself and she'd walk out the door and of course she's caught up in this thing which she has no control over and doesn't know how to get out of it and this would get she kept picking up new charges and I kept seeing her and she kept telling me she was going to do better and then I wouldn't see her again she'd be yeah. AWOL until she got rid of a new charge we did this for like a year and the last time she was in detention and um, everybody had left the courtroom and she looked up at me and she said I won't let you down, ma'am. And I said, I know, I know you won't. And and three days later, she was in detention with this this bottom. And finally, 
we realize I, I can't keep sending her home. Like the idea is obviously just yeah. like you said, you don't send everybody to placement. I right. mean, you really try to maintain them in their home. That's ideal, but it was not working and I couldn't do it any longer. Um, so I sent her to Rebecca's place and I think it was two to three weeks before I saw her again. Cause it's a couple weeks and then they come in for their hearing. And I always hate when people say this cause it sounds dramatic and untrue. And I'm telling you literally when I saw her, she looked like a different human like there was life in her face that I had never seen I had seen her off and on for a year she had a completely different face like it was full of life like she normally would come in real worn with bags under eyes and and looked hopeless and looked worn down and looked like she had no life and she walks in and I'm like I I almost did not recognize her she looks like a completely different person and it was clear to me at that moment that exactly what changed for her was safety. That is the very first time. And that's why I said to her, I said, this is the first time since I've known you in a year that I believe you are in a safe place. And you literally look like a different human. And she felt like a different, like she could receive that. Like it was like she needed safety. And that changed everything. Yes. Yes. And that changed everything. And I'm still working with her and she's made incredible progress. She absolutely needed Rebecca's place. She needed the safe house. I mean, we tried everything, but she, without safety, there was, she couldn't even, I mean, stay home. Wow. So it's been an, an incredible, tremendous difference for her to have the element of safety. So. Wow. I haven't heard any of those stories. Oh, so that's awesome. Yeah. That's we should, so, we should so have awesome. a call every once in a while so yeah. you can, yeah, learn what, what you guys Man, are doing. That's awesome. It's awesome. And so when I said that we have six beds open and we're licensed for 14, mm-hmm. we found out that it, it's going to cost $150,000 to open one bed for a year because of the staff mm-hmm. and the programming and everything. And one bed on average serves about four four girls in a year because mm-hmm. of the average length mm-hmm. of stay. And when I say that number, people about right. fall out of their right. chairs. <laughs> They're like, are you okay, kidding me? It's like, overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. And it is overwhelming. It's right. a huge amount of money. Right. But for a bed. One yeah, bed. For one bed. For but year. if you break that down into, it could be four kids. And this is the, this mm-hmm. is the change that it could mm-hmm. have for them. It's a life. It's a literal someone's life. And for this kid, you know, you have to wonder how long could that go on before she's not here? I mean, how, what's more important her life, her literal life, I believe absolutely was at risk. And so she has safety. It's very important. So it's huge. So restore court. Is it still, you said it's the, it was the only specialized docket. Is it still the only specialized docket in Ohio? It's the only certified. Certified. So there's a few others. Uh, Franklin County has the empowerment program, which I love. Um, They do great work there and they are the very first court that I learned from. And I, and I went to their trainings and I asked for their papers. I observed their magistrates. And so we certainly had somebody to look to and they're great people doing great work. Um, There's one in Cuyahoga County called the safe Harbor docket. Um, And they've recently kind of, I think revamped their efforts and, and there's some, sort of program in Stark County. I forget uh, what theirs is called. Promise court. So maybe, probably. Um, so there's some courts doing some things. They're just not certified by the Ohio Supreme Court. So currently okay. we're still the only certified docket. And what's the difference between, like, why become certified? Um, so the certification, I think we get some some resources okay, from the Ohio cool. Supreme Court as a result of that. Um, but also it's really just the structure that, that dictates to us how you do this as an intensive docket. What are the requirements? How many times do you have to see the kid? Um, what kind of drug testing is required? It really just lays out this is the intensive model for treating somebody. So, so do you have other counties coming to you saying mm-hmm. like, hey, can you help us? Yeah, we do. Um, Cuyahoga and um, Franklin County recently both just asked for our documents. We just 
send them everything we have and say multiply. Go I mean, so it. so I think both of those counties might be pursuing it, but we're very happy to, you know, they've been down to observe and we would love for them to be able to take anything we have and use it, yeah, in their county. So, so when, you, when you're setting the pace, for, like mm-hmm. that's exhausting in and of itself, mm-hmm. but um, you typically are assessing how the program is working and what could be done differently and what could be done better. And, what, and I'm sure that you've made countless changes mm-hmm. from seven years mm-hmm. ago to today. Mm-hmm. And so what are, are there things right now that you're seeing that you would say, this piece might be missing or mm-hmm. this one might be need tweaked or we can raise the bar over here. What would you love to see for restore court moving forward? Yes. So I think about this often. There are things that I think, man, if we could have this, a therapy dog, I think is huge. I think our kids would absolutely, absolutely benefit in every possible way from having a therapy dog. And there are several dockets who have one. So there's turning point tank. He's in the adult drug court. And I'm like, if adult drug court participants need a therapy dog, the juvenile yeah. human trafficking docket needs a, want a therapy, a therapy dog. dog. In my office. Right, <laughs> like absolutely. Right, um, and and so we actually have that is so cool. Yeah, it is cool. And I and I've watched. I've observed those adult dockets too. And I've watched the participants go over and just spend time petting the dog. Mm-hmm. There is something so legitimately therapeutic, um, and neurobiologically, there are um, oxytocin gets released in both the pet and the human when they're engaging. It's, it's a real neuroscience thing. Um, but our kids, so Avery is the prosecutor's dog, Summit County prosecutor's office. And Avery is primarily to sit with victims, child victims when they are interviewing or preparing for a trial, if something has happened to them and they have to go to trial. Well, Avery is coming to restore court March 9th. We had the prosecutor who sits on the docket reach out and they got approval to bring Avery on the 9th. And there's a, a juvenile on my docket who um, knows Avery from having utilized Avery before. Uh-huh. And I am I have never seen one juvenile in all these years more excited about anything, anything at all than when I said, oh, and by the way, at your next hearing, Avery's going to be here. She, she is like, if she were AWOL, when that hearing, I believe she, she would return from the Avery. streets to come back to Avery. I really believe she will. She will be here without a question because her face lit up. She knows Avery. She benefited from Avery. Yeah. She she is she keeps talking about it. I mean, after she left the courtroom, she keeps talking about Avery coming. And I'm thinking, if that's not like a key example of why we need Avery, we need a right. therapy dog. So, so that's is that a hard process to get done? Like, can't I you guess just get it's a, a dog? huge oh, process. It's, okay, yes. got it. So it's a lot of costs. They have to be specially trained. Yeah, that's for sure. a lot of costs for the training. You have to have a handler who's go- responsible for keeping the dog 24 seven and also being here for all of the times we need the dog. It's get Bishop in there. Yeah. Get <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's um, certified. I think. Yeah. Or he had some training, but he, maybe he's got a little extra. To he go. needs a little extra to go. Oh, okay. But I mean, <laughs> I, I, we brought yet. him in before. I don't know if he was feeling it. I don't know. If oh, he, okay. I don't know All right. So he's not the really one, but you guys it. need a dog. We need a therapy dog. Um, the other thing is the physical component. So, um, we are a whole person and a large part of us is a physical body. Our bodies are part of who we are. And so we, of course, address their emotional and their mental, but the physical component impacts your mind and your emotions significantly. And juveniles, if no one's noticed, are pretty resistant to movement. I mean, they want to sit on the screen all day, every day. It doesn't uh-huh. matter. They just, they don't want to move. And so I've been asking them from the bench, like, what do you do? What do you do for movement? You know, and some of them, some of them do play a sport occasionally, but most of them do nothing at all. They don't, they don't have a hobby that they, they don't swim, they don't run, they don't. And I'm like, the benefits to your mind and your mental health on a regular basis from just getting exercise are tremendous. And I feel like we can't just ignore that. 
and not address the physical mm. component. Um, so, for example, again, in Turning Point, they have a, a connection with the YMCA. And after a person's been clean or been in the program for six months, they get a Y pass for free. Oh, wow. And that judge requires them to utilize it. She addresses, well, how, how come you're not going and how many times have you gone? Why? Because you're recovering from addiction. One of the things you need to be healthy as a whole person is you need to be moving. You need right. to get some physical movement. You need to have like your brain restoring. You need those endorphins. It is a part of who we are. And we don't make kids do anything. Like we don't make the kids and they're resistant and they don't want to move. And I always think I wish we had some component that addressed their physical body and how their physical body is connected to their emotions and mind and how that will help them heal and recover. Um, we don't. I love that. Yeah. So. And so you see that. Yes. Hopefully, in the future, getting some kind of component for that. I don't know how. And would we're they come do to that. would they come to treatment team and stuff? Would they be part of those those updates or? Maybe I, it doesn't even have to be like a designated person. It would okay. even be that like it's how specific. do we require them to engage in something Got physical it. so that they can learn just like everything else? Yes, you don't want to do this, but once you do it, you will realize this is necessary, and I feel good, and it helps me. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't want to ever abandon it because it's physical and people I mean, resist. That's why it. I go run for right. miles and miles. Exactly. And miles because I'll you're freak out if I yes, don't. exactly. So you come in and you feel completely stressed and you go for some some even if it's a few miles and you come back and you feel yeah. totally different uh -huh. well why would we not expose them to that because right. they're resistant and they don't want to well, so what right yeah. so that's the other part and then the other one i think about is survivor involvement so we don't have a lot of survivor and i don't want a token survivor i don't want someone who's just yeah. like you're here because you're a survivor i would love somebody who's been in the life to be a part of us to be a part of our team um to to know the girls and connect with them to be a resource for them to identify with them um where we're a bunch of professionals and we're a bunch of non-trafficked people. We're, we're not survivors of human trafficking running this docket. Right. Um, and I wish that we had, I've seen it in other dockets. I've seen how that, how that ability to have been walking that road impacts your ability to speak into someone's life or to call them out or identify your, your slipping cause you're being manipulative. Like yeah. they can, they can call each other You've out in a way. In yes. And we don't have that piece. And I think we could benefit from that. So, so a dog, a physical, component physical component and some survivor involvement. Survivor involvement. Yep. Those are awesome things. Yeah. That's my totally wish list. Yeah. yeah. It's your wish list. Yeah. Said. I'm going to start with the dog. Got it. <laughs> because Got the kids it. are like yeah. all about that. And so there's restore court serves a very specific purpose. And you said like your goal is not to have like there shouldn't be court involvement forever. Like right. that's not the right. point. And so you have a specific graduation. Mm-hmm. And there are requirements to graduate the program. You said earlier about kind of phases. I don't mm -hmm. know if you use the word phase or yep. not, but um, I, from my perspective, and maybe I'm wrong, graduation is very different than like success. Correct. And so, do you? What are you? What's your? Um, maybe just some of your thoughts on the two things: graduation versus success. Um, and do you have like your own internal benchmarks or markers where you're like, oh man, I really like. I saw this happen for this mm -hmm. kid um, and that was like successful mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. So I, I do. One of them, as I had mentioned before, if that juvenile can have a different understanding of who she was in this section of lifestyle or what she believes to be who she is and what she is in this, if she could see it for, for what it really is and understand who she is in that, um, that's huge. Um, their value if they can leave our program realizing they do have value and it's not their body and it's not somebody needed something, um, if they can feel valued, that is, I we won. They yeah. that's um, the other thing that I'm recognizing from the bench that is huge is getting them to to understand their strengths and abilities. They can. 
they don't believe they can, whatever it is, and they can. They're very, very strong. So even if it's like, and and I will tell you, I often am the one who pushes and like calls them up to, yeah. and they will come. They they will ninety five percent of the time at least when I'm pushing them to do something they don't want to do or I'm I'm moving them along to strengthen up. They will. And so even if it's just when they come, sometimes they'll come to court and inevitably something happens before they walk in the courtroom where they're a hot mess either grandma didn't show up or they didn't realize they were gonna have to deal with this and they fall apart you know and and someone will get heads up so and so's in the lobby crying it's not going to be a good hearing blah 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 so they come in and i let them have their space i don't make them shape up and where this yeah. is not the military uh-huh. but you know i let them sit in their space for a few minutes and i say you're having a hard day like i don't know what's going on with you and you don't have to tell me but i can see this is not a good time and let them sit in their space for a few minutes and then in a little bit, I'll just say, well, we have a review hearing today and we need to do that. I need to be able to check in with you and see how things are going. We need to talk. That's what we're here for today. And so then I begin to ask him some questions. And most of the time, almost always, that kid will rise to the occasion and start participating. And sometimes it turns into a beautiful, like they're walking out laughing, like it has it has changed. And they were able. We yeah. didn't need to sit there and stare at them with their head just down. They're, they're having a bad day, but they're able to pull yeah. it together and engage. And I'm the one pushing them because I know they can, and they don't even feel like they can. They feel like they're just stuck in this space that sucks. You were, but you wouldn't have to stay here. And so, you know, or, you know, one kid, um, she, uh, she picked up a charge and I gave her a consequence for it. And she told me immediately, I'm not doing that. And I was like, well, I'm, I mean, it's not really a suggestion or an option. Like, you're going to have to do it. And she didn't even, I mean, she told me in the courtroom when I first ordered it, I'm not doing it. And part of it was because she created a victim of someone else. She victimized somebody through violence. And I said, I'm I'm not okay with that. If somebody did that to you, I would not be okay with it. And I'm not okay with it. I said, it's just not okay to victimize people. And her perspective was, well, I've been victimized a lot and it hasn't been made right. And I understand that. And that's exactly why... We're here. This is where you're going to learn this, because if I don't teach you this now, what am I expecting you to do in the future? What am I expecting you to do out in society if your perspective is I've been victimized and it hasn't been made right? So so and so is going to pay and like that's Uh the worst mentality we can send her out there with. Right. right? So we have to address this now. If not now, it's going to get bad. And so the next time I saw her, she came back maybe a month later, hadn't started the work that I gave her to do that I had ordered her to do. And again, affirmed for me that she was not going to. And I just... I just said that thing that I said earlier, I am not in control. There's nothing I can do to make you do this, but I promise you it is not okay with me. And I'm not going to just, this is not a wash. This is important. It's my job is to administer justice and it's not just, and it's not right what happened. And I care about that other person who was victimized and we're going to deal with this. And so if you don't do it, I'm going to respond. You have to do, we have to address this. It's not okay. And the next time she came back, she had done both of the things that I asked her to do. And I engaged in a very lengthy discussion with her about it. And she answered all the questions. And I said, what changed between the last time I saw you? And I mean, we've been, you've been resisting this since I came out of my mouth. Like, why did you do this? And she said, she has a very good relationship with her therapist and her therapist called her out on it and said, Hey, you're saying you want to be some sort of this, that, or the others, you know, when you grow up, but you can't even do this. Like, like basically called her and because they had that rapport and that relationship, she received it from her. And then this other thing she said is, and I was worried about what was going to happen if I didn't. And I'm thinking, and that's important for her to feel right. So, so she did it and she did it well. And and one of the things was an apology letter. And she, the apology letter said exactly everything it needed to say that I, 
I shouldn't have done that. And it was wrong. And it had nothing to do with you. It had to do with things going on inside of me. And I, I'm sorry for what I did. And it was like, and when I engaged in the discussion with her, I asked her, how do you feel about me getting a copy of this to the victim? And I knew that it was sincere when she said, oh, I think she should have it. Wow. And, and I just thought, but this is something that if I had just let that go, she wouldn't have had that. Right. But she is strong and uh-huh. she can do what I'm asking her to do. And she can change her perspective about what she did to somebody. And she did. Mm-hmm. But I had to make her. But she can. They're yeah. strong. And so for me, things like that, I'm like, that is a huge success. Like she has grown in this charge. She has grown in her consequence and the way she responded to it. So um, things of that nature, growth of any sort. So when we see growth, some of it is, for example, when, when juveniles have a relationship um, most of their home life relationships are broken to pieces. Uh-huh. Um, when we can do services that engage both usually mom and the kid and they develop in their ability to communicate and it results in her not running away so frequently, huge growth. That is a huge success. Like she's able to stay in the home and not freak out and run away every time her and mom get into a thing. That's huge. Right. That will change what happens to her when she's not out there running on the streets because she's about able to communicate and stay home. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, things of that nature are all the measurements to me. It's not, did you check all the boxes? It's really, how have we addressed the issue that brought you in here? And how do you see yourself differently? And do you understand the truth? Um, do you understand who you are and yeah. your capabilities and your strengths? That's like, I have joy jar in my personal joy jar with those kinds of stories all day long because they're the You started the joy jar thing, right? Yes. yes. We've got joy jars all over right now. They're awesome. We have an office joy jar. You should. And you should read it all together at the end of the year. Yeah. You will, you will absolutely love it. If you sat down as a staff, just forget everything. I yeah. Like and just, you everything. will. And, and it's just like, gosh, God was on that. God was on that. God was on that. It's like the stones in the old Testament yep. where he says, use mm-hmm. these stones to remember. Same thing. It's just a piece of paper. It's, it's, inc- it's an incredible reflection of all that God did. Not even all a portion of right. what God did that you captured. Why not reflect on it? And I know? love the fact that I, I might have might be misremembering this, but I think that you the, the goal of, I mean, the purpose of the joy jar is you, like, you can't take anything out of there. Like if you right. were joyful about something yes. today yes. and that thing might have yes. developed a little bit more tomorrow, right. tomorrow you can't come in and take it out. Right. Like, cause you were right. joyful about it yes. today in the moment. And yes. It's part of celebrating like the fact that this thing isn't li- going to be linear in right. any, any regard at all. Right. And it actually makes sense. It was difficult for us to accept that, but you imagine looking at a calendar and on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, she stayed home and on Thursday she left. Does that negate Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? No, like those days not. were, they were what they were. They were good days. Yeah. I mean, so we couldn't keep her home forever. Are those days any less better? Because those days were good days. She was at yeah. home. She was where she's supposed to be. We felt good about it. We were celebrating it. It doesn't doesn't negate those days. They don't vanish off the calendar because down here in the calendar she left. You right. know, it just totally it really agree. is good. What's what's good is good. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so you're often coming into really like a, a child's life, but also the family's life at a, a horrible mm-hmm. time. And so, you I mean, you probably, you do that every day. Mm-hmm. How do you, like, what do you do for Jamie? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you, how do you shoulder that? Mm-hmm. So I learned something last year that changed my life. Um, and the term is like difficult for me to, mindfulness is what it's called. Um, but it's really Psalms 4610, be still and know that I am God. And all of last year, God was working on that with me. And I happened to join this mindful leadership class where they taught us purposeful pause, 
and being still and accepting what is and listening and listening to God and just being quiet and being still and how that impacts the thoughts that come to your mind, the words that come out of your mouth, um, how that really guides your life and directs your your conduct. And um, I have found I am such a, in the Enneagram, which I keep talking about, I'm a one. I am a doer and I'm going to come in and I can identify all the things that need fixed and I'm going to fix them. And I always feel compelled and I'm the advocate and this needs done and I can do it. And that is that is my and the Lord is trying to teach me, wait, I don't, I didn't actually create you for doing like you're a being like, I need you to be still. I am God. Like I, I have all the stuff I'm doing. I didn't actually need you to do everything. You know, it's the Martha Mary. I could never understand that story. That story drove me nuts because I was like, well, if Martha doesn't clean the dishes and make the food, the people are are coming over and someone has to do that. Like I, for real, literally for 40 years, I would be like, okay, I get the premise of that story. That story makes no sense to me in a practical way. Someone's going to make the food. The people are coming. Who's going to do it? Uh You know what I mean? And now that I have practiced this in the last year of being still, I realize no, 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 no. The most important thing was to just sit there at Jesus' feet. That's all that mattered. And two things, either the people will come over and the food won't be prepared and it won't be all ready and nothing's going to change in anyone's life. It's going to uh-huh. be fine. Or somehow think people are going to pitch in and things are going to get done. Somehow that's going to be okay. But the part you're missing is the really important part of just sitting and being there at Jesus' feet. That's all Mary was doing. She was just adoring and being. Yeah. She wasn't accomplishing something. So for me... Um, in the last year, because I have learned the practice of being still and being mindful and listening, it has restored my my emotions. It is restoring my mind. I am able to head into a courtroom feeling undaunted. Um, sometimes I walk in the courtroom literally without the answer. I have, I have prayed and I have processed and I've said, Lord, I don't know which decision I'm supposed to make today. But you're gonna have you're gonna have to say it out of my mouth because I don't. I walk in not knowing what I'm going to do. But I sit and I listen yep. and I listen to what the people are saying and I do not open my mouth. I sit in quiet. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes everybody's staring at me like, okay, we've all made the recommendations. Are you going to say something? And I'm like, oh, I'm the decision maker. And I sit quietly and wait for the Lord's wisdom and then he gives it. And so I've just found such an incredible strength and restoration and learning to be still. Um, so that is the number one trait that I think has kind of changed the way I even that's been life-changing life-changing um the other thing is running I absolutely absolutely that is my mental health and my stress relief I love it um being with my family home you know Uh when I get to come home and just be home I need time and space at home I don't like to fill my calendar with something every five seconds that's no way to live I don't and so just being at home and being with my family um spending my quiet times with the Lord um food I love food. Food brings complete joy to my heart. So that's like a piece of life that is like pleasurable and a joy for me. And so I know um, what fills my soul and I know what what restores me. And I kind of have a handle on those things and I engage in them. And I set boundaries real yeah. well. I am I love boundaries. I think boundaries are great and I have no problem with them. So once I learned, yeah, you can't just that spot's empty. So so it's available. No, it's empty because I need some empty space. Right. there. So I literally look at an empty space in my calendar and that is off limits it's empty space because i need empty space yeah um that's so huge it's huge i need to get there yeah you do it's been life-changing because everyone does i feel like i feel compelled for i wish everyone could learn it because Uh as humans we don't and then i i think we fail to realize we're god god is god 
Like he's doing so much there. He doesn't need you to run ragged. He doesn't. And that's not why he made you. He really made you to worship him. Like, I mean, he didn't make you to, to do a thing. Uh He can do it himself. You know, he doesn't need us to do things. I mean, he calls us to things, but that's not the purpose of why he didn't think to himself, you know, I'm going to, I think of Greg and I'm going to think him up and what I really need him to do, you know, he needs to get here and do this Uh because it's got to be accomplished before I take him. Like he doesn't. He made That's you because he really wants to know you and he thought of you and he knit you together and he just wants you to worship him, you know? And so just learning that, like, what is my role and what is God's role has completely shifted my approach and my you mind. You said you went to a mindfulness leadership? Yeah. So Heart to Heart is an organization who teaches that in the community. Cool. And um, yes, they taught me. I didn't understand meditation. I didn't understand breathing. I felt intimidated by like, am I doing this right? And all the things that a, a one would yeah, would do. Right. Um, and as I read the literature on ones, one of the things ones need is space and quiet, nature, mm-hmm. contemplative prayer, meaning you're not there to like read off a list of things. Contemplative prayer is just to enjoy the presence of the Lord. Uh-huh. I mean, that's contemplative prayer. It's a huge thing. You know what I mean? So just learning those things. And is it's like, a skill. Like you, like yeah. you think, oh, you're just, you're not doing anything. You right, just sit there. Right, Anybody could do that. Right. No, no. Try it. Yeah. And why we why we are resistant and we're we're so busy uh-huh. we're so busy in our heads and in our lives and so yeah that has really shifted, um, and and it has changed how I do my job. Yeah, it, it for has. sure, of course um, it has. Yeah, and so, for, so you're coming into a family's life mm-hmm. in, one of the hardest times mm-hmm. in a lot of in a lot of instances, and, we just heard how you keep yourself, mm-hmm. good, mm-hmm. and so everybody's just heard who's actually on the bench at mm-hmm. Restore Court right now, which is awesome. And But for that family, um, if there's somebody who's listening right now, mm-hmm. a mom or a dad or an aunt or, or whoever, and they have a kid in their life, that this is that kid's story. Mm-hmm. Like they are being exploited sexually. They are under the control of somebody else. And the person, either the parent or the whoever, the loved one who's caring for that kid um, is at their wit's end. They, mm-hmm. they don't know what else to do. They are hopeless. Like with all of your experience and you've seen this story play out time and time and time again, what would you tell that person right now? Um, in our, is this person in our area? What if they're, I guess you could treat the question how you want. Okay. So I think if I were a parent and I was aware of that and had that knowledge and were at my wits end, um, well, this is a difficult question because I don't know the person. So whether the person, knows the Lord or uses the Lord as a resource or could even engage in um, prayer for one. Um, but I believe that's where I would start um, is is prayer to the Lord and the power of prayer. Um, I think if you are in this area, there are a lot of resources here. So Rahab for one of them, um, the court, you don't have to be court involved. We have a thing called the Family Resource Center. You never have to have a charge in your entire life. You can step off the streets in the community without an appointment and come in. And we offer you case management. We would do an assessment if they had. So um, I I did not know that. Yes. Family Resource Center has nothing to do with the delinquency charge. And it's open to the entire community of Summit County. Wow. Um, So if you want to get connected to counseling or you really don't know what you need and you need help, um, they will do an assessment of you and your family. They will look at what your needs are, and then they will begin to link you to resources in the community and, and manage your case for you. They'll offer you case management. Um, and some of those kids get referred over to our social workers, even though they're not court involved, they identify them and they begin to work with them and do case management 
because they have special training in human trafficking. So they get a specially wow. trained human. And we can even make um, referrals for those kids to rehab and rehab mentors, um, kids that come through the Family Resource Center or otherwise are engaged with us that don't have a charge. So even if they're not in restore court, we can refer them to rehab and they meet up with them and connect with them and make a relationship with them just like they would if they had a charge. So you don't have to be a court involved. So I guess so if I were- So their fear for a family, like if they're like, oh, I want to go to the family resource center, but it's connected to the court. Right. And like, I don't want them looking at all my stuff. Right. And we got some things going on. Right. So you, yeah, completely unrelated Separate. whatsoever to the justice end of the court. It is a literal community resource that happens to be housed at the court, again, because we have an innovative judge who recognizes yeah. that the pre preventative end, you know, if, if a family's in need of help and we have case managers who can connect you to resources in the community before your kid is picking up a charge, that would be ideal. Um, and so, yes, we, we it has nothing to do with a record. Um, the families have an opportunity to sign releases, so if they don't sign a release, we don't reach out to people and gain Got their it. information. It's totally confidential, and if they don't want to sign a release of information, we don't access the information. So it's just to help them, family resource center. And so you're, um, you would say, like, find the resources in your community? Mm -hmm. I, I would say... Pray. I would. That's that's where you would start. Um, but not knowing who this person's connected uh -huh. to, if they even know how to find the resources. But if you are here, we have that. Rahab is, is one you can go to without, obviously, being involved in anything prior to that. Um, the other thing I would say is, and I don't know how this works for people if they just reach out, but, like, support groups and, and books. When I was a parent of an adolescent... I was stressed out and lost and feeling dismayed and hopeless often. And occasionally I would get a book about adolescence and it did that thing for me that I said, the psycho education does yeah. for the kids. I was like, for one, they're watching us because everything he just said is a conversation. That is, that is a, a conversation I've had in my home. That is uh -huh. a word that I've been called. Like that's how that dialogue does go. It makes you feel normal. You realize, Oh, this is so common that it's in a book. Um, and then they give you like helpful tips, like, relax. It's a teenager. They're going to be ugly. They're going to say ugly things to you. It's not abnormal. They'll grow out of it. And you're like, oh, like, I mean, literally I read a couple books that like relieved me completely. So just reaching out and finding books on the online or, or listening to them that I was like, that guy just normalized the last four years of my, I wish I had wow. read this four years ago. Yeah. Like he made me realize, Hey, teenagers brains, like not there yet. Calm down. <laughs> yeah. Not there at all. And they're going <laughs> to act this way because of this. You know, they're going to act like an ugly person at home because they're their baby self at home. And I'm like, oh, you know, they, she doesn't hate me. This is where she feels the safest to be her most wow. primitive self, you yeah. know, but but just having that information from a book. So I've ordered several of those books. And when I see a parent on the docket who will read and who is supportive and invested, I give them the book and come down from the bench and say, here, I think you might want to read this. It is incredible. It has helped me. And so things like that, just learning um, normalizes you and makes you feel like it's not going to be off the rails forever. There is wow. an actual term to this. And here's why you're saying what you're saying. So I think just resources, reaching out the Internet. I mean, you can find anything on the Internet. That's what I did. Started looking up books about teenagers. So, yeah, just begin looking for resources. Turn to the Lord. Come to the Family Resource Center. Contact Rahab. So good. There's yeah. a million things. There's there's lots of things you can do. You're not helpless. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. Uh, I could just, I mean, I've taken a million. I know. A million, I feel like we didn't so even scratch the surface. Yeah. I mean, maybe we, we scratched could do it. Again. it. Yeah, maybe we could do it again. Um, but I'm just so glad to be able to have the conversation, uh, be able to introduce you mm -hmm. and the court, Restore Court, mm -hmm. to people who are watching or listening and didn't know about it. Uh, and so if you are listening and you want to get more involved in anything that you heard about, 
on this uh, on this podcast, whether it be with some kind of juvenile court, restore court, uh, rehab, mentoring, please uh, reach out to us. Uh, you can find so much information at rehab-ministries.org. We also have a training coming up on April 18th, 2020, that will uh, be really the first step for anybody looking to volunteer at rehab, whether it be involved in mentoring uh, through Restore Court or any other of the services that, that rehab provides. So um, I would definitely, definitely recommend that training again, April 18th. You can find the registration on our website, rehab-ministries.org. And I promise you, you're not going to want to miss the next podcast. We have an awesome, awesome pair of guests that are coming on. Uh, so please, please tune into that. And until then, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to listen to this and God bless.